Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. He took a shower in the bathroom of his penthouse. Put the do not disturb on his door. Uh, do you remember how we started these podcasts? No. I forget that it's called To Lose My Life. I always think that it's just self-titles. Yeah, self-titles. Do they have a self-title? No. They don't. Hmm. What are the albums? Let's see if I can name them all off the top of my head. Five. So it goes, To Lose My Life, Ritual, which is the one with the twins. The two, yeah. Um, Big TV. Uh, the one with the astronaut TV head. Yeah. Um, fuck, what's the fourth one called? Fourth one was good as well. What was the fourth one called? What was the fourth one called? It was called Friends. Friends. I always think of it as the fourth one. I haven't actually listened to Friends. It's, you know why? It's because Friends, the cover doesn't relate to the name of the title so I always forget the title because it's like a mazy sort of oh okay yeah it doesn't yeah. make you think I mean friendships are like a maze of emotions sometimes <sighs> yeah yeah hey we're George and Jake and I'm, I'm, I'm not Jake, Jake. <clears throat> spending too much time with Jake yeah I always called Jake Fabian though Wow. Hey, we're George and James, and we're getting pretentious with White Lies to Lose My Life. Right, so you miss B sides. I miss B sides. I can't remember the last time I heard a B-side. Apart from Arctic Monkeys' last album. Because they just seem consistent with B-sides. Yeah. Kasabian often put out B-sides. To their things. Did they for 408... Is it 4819? They did for 4813. 13, yeah. I don't actually think they did, though, for, for Crying Out Loud. I've never... Yeah, no, I've never actually seen Kasabian live. Oh, George. I should. What are you doing? I wanted to see them on the uh, forty-eight thirteen tour, but I mean, I've only seen them sixteen times. <laughs> <laughs> I've never I think seen it's, a band that many. I times. think it's fifteen, including, and then sixteen if I include seeing Serge Pizzorno on that SLP tour. But I've only seen them so many times because, like, how long have they been around? They've been around. Ten, well, longer than 10 years now. I want to say Clubfoot came out in 2006. I think it's earlier. I think it's 2004. No. I think their first album came out in 2004. 2004. Oh, yeah. 2004. I only know that because I went to the 10-year anniversary gig in 2014. Yeah, even that's a long time ago now. Um... So that album is four four years away from being twenty. Yeah, shit. It's a great album, but I was, um, I was nine when that came out. Amazing. So I yeah. So 
Well, how old are you? I'll be 25 this year. Oh, same. So we're the same age. Yeah, we yeah. were nine when the first album came. Yeah, so I've seen Kasabian from then. Yeah. Up until now. And, like, any time they've toured, pretty much, I've been to see them. Yeah. So, like, every album that's come out, we've seen them. And then they'd also, like... So, for those who don't know who listen to the podcast, I'm originally from Bristol. And mm-hmm. they would play quite a few warm-up gigs if they were doing Glastonbury. Yeah. They would always do, like, a small warm-up gig. Like, I've seen them in, like... uh like sports halls <laughs> or like village halls in like Swindon. That's in like a warm up for like Glastonbury gigs. That's quite cool. So that's how I've seen them so many times because I've like been to like lots of those little random gigs that Before they've done. Before they were big. Yeah, I think it was one of my ex's dads who um he went to go see I think he was going to go see Duran Duran or something. And then before the gig they went to this pub and there was a band playing they had a really random obscure name turned out it was Duran Duran just doing a little warm oh, really? practice set that's cool yeah so they actually saw Duran Duran twice once in a like 2000 <laughs> venue and once in a like 50 capacity pub in one night but yeah I do we, we I think me like me and my dad do have a habit of uh, going to a lot of bands seeing them twice like more than once at least twice yeah yeah like I could probably name of all the gigs I've been I've probably been to like the same band like like several multiple times multiple times White Lies I think I've seen nearly five times now blimey I've only seen them the once and that was at a festival I think that was Reading and Leeds well Reading back in like 2012 yeah which would have been I think it was after Rituals right because when was well it was ten years last year so yeah 2009 so if I saw them in 2012 yeah it would probably, probably have been probably Ritual yeah yeah I'm trying to think, like, what does... When I was listening to White Lies' album, I was trying to think who it reminds me of. Like, band-wise. Right. Like, where do you think they got their inspiration from? I think you can hear... I think you can definitely hear, sort of... I think there's definitely a post-punk, Joy Division-esque vibe to Yeah. Sort of the bass... cleaner Joy Division. Yeah, like, bass line heavy, with Mm. a bit of synth, sort of... Um, yeah. like synth pads I think that's kind of a very well I think I don't think it actually is really Joy Division-esque but I think that's what we associate when we hear that sound now I think we associate it with Joy Division with Joy Division yeah um, because I think Joy Division sort of started that well at least to my knowledge sort of started that sound Joy yeah. Division had a very specific sound and I think yeah. Um, that's an album we should discuss at some point, the first Joy Division record. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those... It's so overdone for me. Right. The album. Just like... I think New Order was better and more influential to music than Joy Division. Interesting. But I think because Joy... Joy Division just felt more culty. It's like the room of music. I don't think it was necessarily that exceptional. It was just a bit different and the crowd around it were all cool. Yeah, but and... Are you saying the room is in the film The Room? Yeah. But The Room was a terrible film. <laughs> yeah. Joy Division weren't a terrible band. 
But I think the thing that makes The Room a good cult film is the following and the yeah. hype around it. Sure. And the same with Joy Division a little bit. I think it would be a bit of a subpar album if it wasn't... It's it, very out there It would be interesting to see how Joy Division would be perceived now if Ian Curtis hadn't died. Because I think the same about yeah. Nirvana. Where would Nirvana have gone? <clears throat> yeah. If Ian, like, would Nirvana have just tailed off sort of um, towards the end? Because Dave Grohl would have wanted to go and do his solo thing because that was always bubbling over yeah. during. And, like, would Nirvana just have become another Pearl Jam of just sort of, like, they're still great and if you saw them live, they're amazing, but, like, just sort of, you know, but because Kurt Cobain ended up dying, it's like... Yeah, it's just hard because sadly a lot of Kurt Cobain's creativity did stem from just how depressed he was. Yeah. Well, you listen to... uh, Also, like, it's the same with Joy Division. You listen to Ian Curtis' lyrics. Yeah. It's all about how he's feeling and his epilepsy and... In a way, it's almost like you're bound... If Not that they were bound to die, but just like... that. Without them dying, I don't think it would have been it would have had the same value but then queen's a different story you see i still think queen would be writing huge songs even now yes but i don't think i see i think that that's where the difference is i don't think um well i think it's different in terms of nirvana and joy vision because they ended up killing themselves whereas yeah. freddie mercury ended up dying of of hiv aids yeah so there's a different sort of I feel like the the Joy Division and Nirvana, the way they ended up dying and their depression is sort of like intrinsically interwoven with the music. You can't have one without yeah. the other. Whereas with Queen, Freddie Mercury, I guess, you know, he would write songs about his lifestyle, his life and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't feel like his death and the music are like intrinsically linked in that way yeah it's the same with amy winehouse as well i don't know if amy winehouse would actually have kept up the same momentum as she was when she was alive yeah like there is there is definitely a especially as they were all at the start like what nirvana and joy division were kind of around the turn into tapes the same way Amy Winehouse was in the turn from into like CDs, like it's whether they would have been able to survive such cultural shifts such as digitalized music and CDs and stuff. Yeah, because although yes, Nirvana was like Kurt Cobain was around when CDs were around, but what do you think? Because nowadays, to be a successful band you do kind of have to have a very heavy social media presence and your marketing needs to kind of suit... I I can't picture Nirvana having little gifts on their songs on Spotify. No. And doing massive... Like putting gig pictures and tour pictures up. Because, you know, but the thing that's weird is is, it's the thing that uh, that I always sort of struggle... Because I love... uh, I've I've really gotten into Joy Division in the last few years. And actually it was mm. mostly because of watching the film Control. Have you ever seen Control? No, I haven't. Which is, I need to. It's yeah. a brilliant film on its own anyway, even if you don't care about Joy Division. But mm. um, 
but I've really gotten to Joy Division and I've always liked Nirvana. Um, but I've always struggled with this sort of uh, the way that they've both been treated uh, as sort of they're, they're two bands that couldn't have been less sort of um, commercially focused. Yeah. Uh, Kirk Cobain and Ian Curtis were two people who were definitely doing it for the art and for self-expression yeah. purposes, right? And when you go into a, not that I ever do really, but a Primark or a Top yeah. Shop and you see Nirvana T-shirts. Or Joy Division T-shirts. Or Joy Division T-shirts, which is interesting as well because Joy Division... Um, I was watching an interview with uh, the bassist whose name has suddenly escaped me. Uh, yeah. Um, which is weird because I know his name. But um, he was... Uh, Peter Hook. Peter Hook. Peter Hook was saying that they never merchandised. They never did any merchandise in Joy Division. Huh. So any Joy Division T-shirts that you see... None of them will be original. None of them are original and none of the money ever goes to any of the remaining members of Joy Division because they don't own any of the any of the like rights to any of the imagery anymore because they never thought about it because they didn't care because at the time they were like well we don't want to do merch we're not that kind of band yeah um and but that sort of so that that, that, those things sort of trouble me about Nirvana and Joy Division in the way that like I just it just sort of like it feels like they have become something that I've got a, a, a Kurt Cobain f- fucking Funko Pop vinyl on the shelf over there. Yeah, you and do. And it just feels wrong. It I is. like it. Yeah. Like, I like having it. It's kind of cool. But Kurt Cobain would hate that. He would despise that. Well, well, yeah, I mean, he would hate that. But in a way... I think there is definitely an argument for saying that Kurt was also a bit of a marketing genius as well. Because it's the same with Sex Pistols and a lot of those sorts of movements. It's the marketing behind it is the lack of marketing. True. It is the cool kid. And you could say the same about that first Joy Division record. Mm. The, the In a way, the 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 album artwork is more iconic than the actual songs themselves. I bet you, yeah. could, you you would be able to find a lot more people who could tell you what the album was just from the yeah. artwork than they could from the songs. Yeah. Um, and it's like a genius... It's a genius bit of design. Yeah. Um, you see, even if it wasn't done on purpose or not, I think there is definitely an essence of most successful bands, even if they mean to or not, have naturally good marketing skills. Yeah. Because you are um, you are marketing a product at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, going back to White Lies now, I think that is potentially why they've never quite broken through. Because first album, incredible. Music, on point. Lyrics, on point. Marketing was okay. I think the cover art's good. Yeah. And rich, uh, Ritual got bigger as well, but they've never had... Because I would say they were quite different when they came out. I remember hearing White Lies yeah. uh, 
it was, I think it was Farewell to the Fairground that I heard mm. first. I was like, I haven't heard this before. Like, this sounds different. Yeah. And I think the reason why they lost momentum potentially is that they just didn't have the same sort of marketing that a lot of new sounds have. Yeah, I think it's a shame, really, because... Because they th- are a little bit dull to look at. And, like, from, a, like, a, a marketing perspective, like, all of their artwork, their socials, it's very... Uh, yeah, it's just not that engaging. I'd say they're quite... Yeah, I'd say they're they're quite... They can be quite minimalist, but without... Purpose. Yeah. Minimal without words, really. It's like... And I think the I think actually that 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 is the sort of genius of this record actually is the sort of minimalism of it when you actually break down the songs themselves mm. you look at the songs and you go they're very simple yeah there's not actually a lot going on yeah um but that's what makes them like punch through so well well yeah it's like watching a load of really good short films. That's how it feels like for the ears. Just lots of little short films, like with his lyricism and stuff. And that's why the, the artwork works so well. It, it does fit with the first album. And Which is and interesting kind of as well. I, just as you said that, I do remember there were... They released, like, little short films of every... For, like, all of the... For, like, a good few of the songs, songs on the album. Yeah. Um, that just had like pieces of the songs in, which was really good. And then they've never really carried on that sort of yeah. uh, attitude going forward. And I don't know if that's them or that's because their, their storytelling is or... fantastic. Yeah, I mean the the thing that I find interesting about White Lies, and I heard uh, Brian Eno on Adam Buxton's podcast. He said that uh, a, a lot of his music, he he tries to he will he won't write. Uh, in the first person, so he won't write. I felt this, or yeah, and he won't say you either. So he won't say in the what's the the third person. It's always I'm guessing he yeah he always writes about other people. Yeah, they um, them they them that person her, yeah. him, and and that's what White Lies do quite a lot on this record. Well, it's like he's like a narrator, yeah. Which is a nice, it's a nice change up because it's indie. I would definitely label it as indie music. Yeah. But every other indie band around that time, it was either someone like the Wombats being like, "Oh, I've got a girlfriend," or <laughs> it's someone it's a perfect uh, impression yeah. of the Wombats, sir. <laughs> Or Pigeon Detectives, or The Feeling, like any of them. You can label all of them if you want. Um, or it is very... Well, to be honest, that the is pigeon, actually the consent. The Pigeon Detectives. The Pigeon Detectives. them. Yeah. Or Scouting for Girls. What was their song, The Pigeon Detectives? I don't know. I get them all really confused. There was We Are Scientists as well. They were a thing as well. Do you remember them? Yeah. I, uh, me, and, that time. me and Liv were very big fans of We Are Scientists. I think I saw them supporting Kaiser Chiefs. Who another band who's just yeah that first Kaiser Chiefs record though which one were we Pigeon Detectives Pigeon Detectives that first Kaiser Chiefs record was that first Kaiser Chiefs record and the same with the feeling the first feeling record ah see now hang on 
the feeling. I had a disagreement about the feeling the other day with someone because they said the first feeling record was great. And I was like, was it though? Were the feeling ever great? So after listening to The Pigeon Detectives, I realised that, yes, they also... You've got some of them that say, I do this, and you've got Pigeon Detectives saying, you're going out with... Yeah. It's, it's either it's me or you. it's always like me or you. Yeah. Whereas White Lies do a lot of... Um, yeah, like you said, it's like he's narrating a story. Yeah. It made... It, it was very intellectual. It's just intellectual indie music. It yeah. sounds like it's come out of an English lit school rather than a, a language school. <laughs> uh, no, an English lit school instead of an art school. Like most indie bands. Like, I, like Love Foles, but they do sound like they came out of like art an school. art school. Yeah. And that's very common. Yes. Uh, I, I, I like the, the narrative tone. I think it makes it more cinematic as well. Certainly yeah, on some songs, which it also works really because a lot of more storytelling music like folk, I I struggle to feel that engaged. I'm not really a lyric listener, right? Because quite often there's really engaging music that's going on. If if something's quite intellectual lyrically, it's usually quite intellectual musically as well, and right. I'm more drawn to the music. Whereas the White Liars, it's just bangers, so it's actually more engaging to listen to the lyrics as well. Because there's more, there's more mental space for the lyrics to come through, rather than it being this complex arrangement yes. with then complex lyrics. It's a really simple, easy to digest. Which is why I think the comparison to Joy Division is it's quite right. fitting yeah because again it's like sparse sort of uh, arrangements there's not a lot going on mm. but then so you're forced to then listen to the lyrics yeah this is something that I think bands like um, Girl Band and um, Black Midi have in common mm. as well like although yes they sometimes get very hardcore punk yeah the bits where they're singing or talking, it's usually just one note being chugged out over some really weird time signature. It's very simple music while the lyrics are being said. Same with Idols a little bit. Very simple, but also very complex lyricism, but a minimal lyricism. Yes. It's still got that narrative that's easy to access because they've left space for it. Actually, that is something that I've never really thought about is you almost need to think of lyrical content within an arrangement as much as you do as the harmony and the pitch and the timbre of it. Because if something's really complicated lyrically and you marry it with really complicated like arrangement, it makes it harder to... like Digest. Yeah. Whereas actually if you want some really simple chorus lyrics have a nice, thick, luscious, complicated arrangement. But if you're going into a verse, some of the best verses for lyrics usually have very simple chord structures. I think that's something that the the National do very well. Yes. Um, I know you're not the, ma- the most massive fan of the National. I can appreciate the National. Um, 
And they can be kind of slightly... Uh, I don't know if esoteric is the right word to use, but I'm going to use it. We're quite Do esoteric it. with their music sometimes. Like, it can sort of go off on weird tangents. But when when they're trying to deliver something lyrically, like you said, sort of everything sort of drops out. And yeah. the, the music becomes quite simple. And there's a lot of examples of that on their latest record, I think. Yeah. Um, but then you've also got the reverse, which... I would definitely say somebody like 1975 does, where they actually hide their complex lyricism underneath really big arrangements. Like I would say People yes. is... It took me good, like, six or seven listens until I was like, oh, my God, that's what you're saying. doesn't help that he's screaming it as well. Yeah, but even, like... um I want to say that Sincerity is Scary is another one where it's got that really cool groove and there's BVs and stuff going on. It's very, like, kind of big band-esque. And the lyrics just feel very jolly, but then actually the the actual context of the lyrics is being hidden away under that to lure you into yeah. that false but sense then I of think security. That, that can be both a good thing and a bad thing because I think as we talked about in 1975, it took me quite a while to understand what was... that they weren't just this, like, pop band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, probably because it was almost too well hidden. Yeah, I would agree. Where, like, White Lies almost do the same, but it's a bit easier to get in. It's, it's easier to access... Yeah, the complex lyricism but at the end of the day I could definitely have like four or five ciders at a festival and just lose my shit to white lies they're very anthemic yeah as a band they've got some fucking great choruses so good like you can just scream them at the top of your lungs with a load of other people I mean you went to the 10 year anniversary show yeah and I'm just like I feel like if I went to see that, I would become a teenager again and just completely... It felt like, to be honest, that the whole of Brixton Academy became a a teenager again. It was the most remarkable reception for a band I think I've seen in a long time. Um, I went to see... Do you remember Doves? Yes. So they did it... What happened to them? Well, so they stopped for a while and then they came back last year. Well, oh, okay. they haven't released any music. Yeah. I think they might, but it's not sure. Yeah. But they played a gig at the Royal Albert Hall and it was for the Teenage Cancer Trust gigs yeah. and managed to get tickets for it. It sold out really quickly. But the reception they got when they came out on stage was just... I, like, I've always liked Doves. I quite liked some of their records. Um, the Last Broadcast is a fantastic album from yeah. start to finish. But... I don't think I ever realised how loved they were until I went to this gig. Um, and also until I heard Six Music talking about... Like, Six Music were talking about Doves coming back. Like, it was, like, the biggest thing. Yeah. And like, it was like, I didn't realise they were that sort of uh, massive, like, yeah, massive to some people. I didn't think they were that big. I just remember them from, like, they were an enemy a lot. Yeah. When I was a kid. And it was like, oh, these guys are all right. But, um... I didn't even know they were on a hiatus. Yeah. I didn't know that it was an, it was uh, 
a purposeful thing. I thought they'd just like. But like disbanded. I'd seen them in like smaller rooms, like when they were still around. I saw them mm. at like the O2 Academy in Bristol, which is not a big venue. Yeah. Um. So for them to like sell out the Royal Albert Hall in like minutes was, yeah, kind of like weird to me. Did I'm guessing White Lies sold out for their 10th anniversary? Yeah, they added an extra day. Yeah. So why didn't I go? So doves. So doves. When doves came out, the reception was like amazing. Um, yeah. Like the cheer they like got when Jesus they came back had been on. resurrected. Yeah. <laughs> and the only thing I can compare the the way that's the only thing I can compare the reception that White Lies got when they came out, which is mad album. because they've been releasing they've been albums. They toured earlier in the year mm. like I'd been to see them earlier in the year at Kendrick's Town and that would have been their... for five yeah but you see the thing is I liked Ritual didn't listen to it that like every time White Lies have released an album I'll listen to a few songs off the new album and be like oh I'm just gonna listen to Lose Your Life because it's just better yeah I mean I think I'm probably more more of a fan than you are yeah, I just I'm a bit more I think dedicated to white lies, but yes, I think I I'm think. just caught up on how good to lose my life is because it's just so. It is. So they've good. never they've never done better. They've never topped it, but and the, so the reception they got when they came out was insane, and those ten they played the album from start to finish, and those ten songs were just on point amazing mm. and they could have ended the gig there and I'd have been quite happy yeah um, and they, they did come back on and do some of the newer stuff which they're still great they're still great live and they've got some really I think there are some standout tracks that they've done since some really good stuff but it just didn't so it I'm, almost it more felt flat after the sort of the yeah doing that album from start to finish was just yeah, because what's Amazing. the last track again? Uh, Price of Love. Yeah. Ending on that. Yeah. It's just like, let it be, let it sit. I would always have been happier if they'd have done... Because, you know, I'm happy to watch White Lies doing whatever, so I'd have been happy to see them do... I, I could have flipped the sets for me. Ah, that would be interesting. I could have done, do some of your new stuff, go off, Almost be your own support band. Yeah. Do the, some of the new stuff, go off, and then come on and do that. What was quite interesting, they did... It was quite cool. They did uh, so all the to, all the To Lose My Life stuff. Mm. All the lighting was in black and white. All, like, to, you know, fits the album. Yeah. And then when they did the newer stuff, it was all in colour. So That's it felt nice separated in a quite yeah. a nice way. Um, but like, I could have I I swapped them. I actually think that would have been better. Because then you would have been like, but then I don't know if you'd have been like, come on, just play the new, yeah, play the record. I also, don't know. also, I think after I'd finished the record, I would have taken that as a good excuse to just leave and get out before all of the cars and the parking and all of that stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm guessing you're a fan of the album gig then. Which like doing an album for your gig. Uh,. I mean, I definitely think it depends on the album. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, true. But yeah, I mean, I wish I. You saying that you a... wouldn't go see Kasabian touring Velociraptor? <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, don't know. I mean, I probably would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would. But um, but I would certainly go and see them tour. They did do once. They did do um, the first album. Kasabian did their first album in full. That's cool. And then did. Uh, like a set of newer stuff and it was around 4813 to come out as well so the newer stuff was banging as well yeah and i wish i'd been at that but it was one of those like itunes festival gigs when the itunes uh, festival was the thing so you couldn't get it was really hard to get tickets oh yeah because they actually have released that as an album haven't they um and that was cool like i would have liked to have seen that um trying to think if there's been any other gigs where i've seen like an album in full I saw Gomez do their second album in full last year. All right. But <laughs> this but. is the thing. We thought they were doing their first album. We got confused between the albums. We <laughs> thought it was going to be the first album, which we really like. And we don't really know their second album. So you turned up and just so watched a load of songs. Turned up to the second album. It was like, ah, oh. we thought it was oh. the other one. So this that was is less good. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. What do you think about the doing uh, an album for a gig? I kind of agree, like, it does depend which album. Because I know Maccabees toured Give Into The Wild as an album, and that is a fantastic album. Yeah. But if, like... I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example of a bad album now from a band that I would actually go and watch. I think as well, I think you've got to give it time. I don't think it would work. It's got to be like a ten-year anniversary. Well, no, I, I saw, don't know because Maccabee's album, they they toured that as the album itself. It's their best album. Yeah, <laughs> but also they toured it when people had, the album had only been out for like two, right. two, four weeks. Did they advertise it as that? Yeah, because even saw, to the wild tour, I saw Courtney Barnett at the Roundhouse. Mm. When her second album came out, and she did, she did the second album in full, and then some other stuff. But because her second album had just come out, yeah, I was a bit like, and it and it wasn't advertised as that was what yeah. was happening, and it was like I was a bit sort of like, you're still good, and I, I'm I'm enjoying myself, but like I also want to. Yeah. Hear some of the ones I know a bit more. Mm. Uh, to be honest, I've always found it a little bit weird if you're touring an album. Like I I obviously get it now why you don't just tour the album, but like if you're touring the album and you're trying to sell them push the album, surely the tour should just be all of the album and then a few of your other best hits. Yeah, it does feel weird. I mean, it's the only sort of art form in which you do revisit all of your previous work all the time. Yeah. Um, like, as a comedian, most... You, I mean, you, there are some comedians that still... Like, I think uh, Jerry Seinfeld's quite interesting because he'll, he'll do, like... He'll still do old material and he'll, like... The act will gradually evolve. So, like, every five years, it's, like, a completely new set. But, like bits will slowly come out of the set. Yeah. But like if you're if you go and watch Stuart Lee, right? He'll reference his other He jokes. might reference his other jokes, yeah. but it's like it's like it's a new it's body a new of work joke. Each, yeah. each tour. 
And also, if he's referencing a joke, he's making a new joke with that joke. If you went to see a comedian and they did the same jokes that you'd seen them do before, you'd be disappointed. Yeah. And so... Uh, and the same with a film. And the same with a film. Although that does happen. You do get some of the same scenes in films, as we know. Um, yeah, but then we complain about it. Yeah, true. <laughs> we make videos on YouTube and watch them. We, we complain about um, Star Wars because it's just the same as the old ones. Oh, let's not get into that one. Um, but yeah, but then I guess music also is the... I mean, I'm slightly different because I will re-watch films over and over again. Same. But like... Oh, but I'd be disappointed if somebody... If Christopher Nolan released a new film about time travel, but he reused loads of scenes from Inception, yeah, I'd be like, well, that's not how it works, mate. Unless it made you see Inception in a different way. Like, it changed your view on Inception. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you'd have to do something new with it, so it would, like... Has anybody ever released the same film twice, but from two different perspectives of two characters? No, but that would be interesting. I know filmmakers who have remade films. So, like, Michael Haneke, uh What's it? What's that film called? This is good, isn't it? Podcast, and I don't know the film called. I mean, Planet of the Apes. I mean, we tried to blank out Tim Burton trying to remake it, but... True, but, I, but there are filmmakers who specifically made, like, remade their own films. Oh. So, like, Michael Haneke made this film. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, I cannot think of any example. And he made it in his, like, his native language. His, um, he's European. I can't remember where he's from. But, um, and then he then remade it for a, like, UK-American yeah. audience in English. With like um, you. Well, I mean, American they almost stars. have to do that with all films these days. Like, they'll make two separate edits, won't they? One for a Asian, yeah, um, audience. One for a Western audience. But in a way, this is what White Lies. What White Lies opens my brain when I listen to them. Like, they actually make me enjoy the world more. I see the world in color when I listen to White Lies. Oh, interesting. Because I see it all in black and white. <laughs> Well, like, while I'm listening to it, it's all very black and white. I feel like I'm in a French noir film sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you know what White Lies does for me? Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> You're going to find out. <laughs> Especially this album. So the other day, I showed George a short... It's sort of a short film, but it's part of an episode of a TV series called Joe Perra Talks With uh, You. <laughs> yeah right and i said to george and it's very if you like go and watch it it's brilliant but it's like it's really random but it's like beautifully made on seemingly a fairly low budget it seems low budget but a lot of time yeah but it watching that kind of thing like inspires me to do stuff because i think like I watch that and go, for some reason, that sort of thing inspires me. It's detailed simplicity. That's what it's nice about it. And White Lies, when I listen to White Lies, it makes me want to go and write music. Well, it's so simple. Yeah. Like, when you listen to the whole of To Lose My Life, is simplicity really well done? Because 
even the storytelling is very simple. Like it has to be. It's a song. Like yeah. you can't do it. Although having said that, there's twists. There is twists. But but still the way it's told is very he yeah. does it in very minimal words. Yeah. All of the chord progressions and stuff very simple. But it's I can almost imagine it being a book. He's written like a novel and the band have made a full orchestral arrangement and they've gone, all right, let's condense this down into an easy-to-access indie album. And that's what comes across. Yeah, you could read his lyrics as poems and they would work. Yeah. You know, because people say like, oh, lyrics are sort of poetry. Mm. But like sometimes you read lyrics on their own and it just it, it does not work. But you could also fill out you could you could make novels on each song. Yes. And you could also make full-on orchestral instrumentals off each song. Well, you look at um, the song like For the Stars. Yeah. There's an interesting oh. character. Then. The lead character in that song... Yeah. ...is like an interesting character that you want to sort of know more about. But yeah. he sort of teases you a little bit some information. Yeah. And you don't know why he's in the situation he's in. You don't know. There's sort of all sorts of interesting details, like um, like he, there's a bit he looks at the hands and there's gold watch that he got given by a magazine, stuff like that. Uh, and it's like, so there's all these, um, like, he fills it with interesting little details. Again, like very minimal, but make you think about hints, things. He hints at who the characters could be but doesn't tell you who they are he leaves that nice amount of space for you to put somebody that you know into the position of the character or like you kind of make your own character from what he says yes but he gives you enough information to tie it all in you know what's interesting here is I'm just looking so I've got the 10th anniversary of White Lies to Lose My Life on vinyl. And it comes with this nice book. And interestingly, it seems that the bassist is the one that's written all the lyrics. Who doesn't do the singing? Really? Yeah. He does sing sometimes, doesn't he? He does. Like like he's a BB, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm just reading a, a passage here from Harry, who is the lead singer. Um... And he's talking about what he's le- what he learnt during the course of making the record. And he said, the most important lessons were in relation to my singing. I always knew that I could sing and that I had a powerful voice. But in order to express the complexities in Charles's lyrics, Charles being the bassist, yeah. and the song's melody lines, I had to learn to control my voice and breathing in order to build tension by holding back and then to release by singing loud and high. So that's interesting. That is very interesting. I mean... There is definitely an argument for bassists usually being the more intellectual members of the band. George saying this because he is a bassist. (laughs) But that's impressive because I... It's quite often if somebody else is writing the lyrics for you and that to that extent, you can sometimes tell because the performance isn't as believable. Whereas I, I genuinely believe every word he says. Which makes you feel like he's... Which is why it's easy to assume that... He writes the lyrics. He writes the lyrics. Um, 
So I thought that was interesting. That's really interesting. Because the first person in the book... Is Charles. Is Charles, which, again, you wouldn't think of... Because why would you put the basses first? Um, but it turns out I think he's written most of the songs. This is interesting. The G major rising hum that announces the song Death mm. never actually dies. It just ducks in and out of audibility during the song. Oh, I like that. It's like the undertow of death that's always sat at the back of your mind that keeps you moving forward. However present it is, yeah. it's always there moving you forward through life. Mm. Clever bastards. Charles has solo music. Does he? Yeah. Charles K? Yeah. The new single is entirely written, performed, recorded and mixed by Cave. But then I also... His voice, Harry's voice... Oh, it's... Is mm. so, and actually, never has Harry's voice sounded better live than when I saw him at Brixton. It can be a little bit on the rocks. I think it's really down to how they're mixed and how he's hearing himself. Yeah, at festivals, it's always a little bit more off-kilter. Yeah. Which, playing at festivals always is worse sound. Because um, at Brixton, it was mixed... Because I've been in rooms where they've not mixed White Lies particularly well. Yeah. Um, where the bass has always been way too loud and you can't really hear Harry's voice and then you, he's sort of straining to be heard. Yeah. But Brixton, like, it was mixed perfectly and his voice was just the best Super. I've ever heard it yeah because it is a powerful voice you need a sound engineer that knows the songs because like I feel like when they get into a set he's not necessarily that conscious of his vocal of his mic technique and yeah. if you're not pulling that fader down when he goes for it and he's near the mic it's going to be loud. Yeah, I remember my dad saying about this album that he remembers the first time he heard... I can't. I think it might have been To Lose My Life or Death. I can't remember which one it was. I think you always remember the first time you hear a White Lie song. Yeah. I mean, it was my partner's first album she ever bought. Yeah. Like, with her own money. That's, that's, that's quite an impact yeah. to be a teenager... And a band's so good that you're like, yeah, I'm going to go spend £10 on an album. But the fact that my dad can remember, like, being... We were, like, coming back from some other gig. I can't remember which one it was. Some other gig. Late at night, he was driving down the motorway. Oh, you're going to remember a White Lies song while you're listening to and it, it at night driving. Up, came up on, uh, on the radio and he was just like... That's the Bloody perfect hell. time to be listening to White Lies. Like... Driving your car through the dark. 11, from between 11 o'clock and 2 in the morning, in the dark, driving along. Yeah. Putting on White Lies. That is the best listening experience for this album. In the car, in the dark, to lose my life. Perfect. Empty roads... Oh, just the lights of your headlights lighting. Yeah, the way. I mean, what would be fitting is if you're driving along to farewell to the fairground, and there's a fairground. Oh, I mean, that distance. would that yeah. would be perfect. 
So there you have it. White lies to lose my life. Um, thank you very much for joining us this week. If you like what you hear, then please do subscribe, share it with your friends uh, and all the usual good stuff. Follow us on all the social media channels that are linked in the description of this podcast. And join us next time when we will be talking about George... Childish Cambinos, because the internet. See you then. Goodbye.